In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Barry Holt, Vice President of Global Cable Operations for Amphenol Broadband Solutions. Barry has been with Amphenol for almost 23 years, mainly with Times Fiber, before it merged with others to become ABS. We talk about the advantages for customers working with ABS from his perspective. We talk about placing a premium on developing relationships with the people you work with in order to succeed. And he reminds us we have two ears and only one mouth for a reason. We talk about the experience and adventure of opening up a new plant in Vietnam. We talk a little hockey, of course, being from Canada. And we discuss his Desert Island album, book, and movie selections. This is The Interface. I believe I'm catching you in Canada because that's where you are, correct? Yep, correct, <laughs> Ottawa, Canada. So, Barry, tell me about your role uh, and what division you work for and what you guys do. What's your specialty? Yeah, so uh, my role as a vice president of global cable operations for ABS was uh, traditionally Times Fiber. We acquired seven or eight different companies over the last six or seven years, and there's been a huge integration to try and you know, a one-stop shop. And that's, it's been a challenge for us, you know, and it's not quite the Amphenol model. A lot of people want to be separated, but you know, our big customer base, the MSOs, Comcast, Charter, these guys, they only want to deal with one person. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want seven salesmen from different things coming in. So more and more we've worked to really consolidate those and changing the name to Amphenol Broadband Systems was part of that, you know, and Zach and Josh really over the last couple of years, I've really worked hard to change the front. You know, there was a lot of traditional, like Times Fiber was a, a name for 75 years. Right. You know, we were one of the first ones in, in Amphenol and globally known, but they don't want to write purchase orders to six different vendors. They want to write one, you know, and yeah. the big drive is some of these things like Comcast are trying to take, you know, 10,000 vendors down to 2,000. And our competition, our main competition is really a one-stop shop. You know, so that's been part of it, blending that together. My role is uh, running all the manufacturing plants. So I have one in Brazil, Mexico, uh, Chatham, Virginia, Vietnam, Korea, China, and one here in Canada where I started originally. I want to go back to something you said at the beginning, though. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it yet, though, but the the uh, episode we actually just released was with Matt Shapson, and he talked a little bit about the transformation into ABS and everything under one storefront. Um, someone who had been, you know, more of a, a, an individual business in the Times Fiber side, what was that like for you and what were the challenges for you to become more, uh, again, as you said, kind of outside of the Amphenol way to combine a lot of these uh, businesses into one called ABS? What, what were the challenges for you? You know, a lot of it is different cultures. You put these companies together, you know, they got different cultures, different backgrounds, different reporting structures. And I think that was the big, how do you pull everybody into the team? And I think for a lot of people, you know, for myself, it wasn't so much, but I could see a lot of people, it's losing an identity, mm -hmm. you know, something that, you know, people are all rewarded by a reward structure and every company's got its own reward structure. So a lot of these people, you know, followed the rules kind of in that company to get higher and higher. And then you group it together and it's almost like that's disappeared, I, I, you know. So there was a lot of posturing, I think, a lot of people that think, and, you know, this molds together and I just disappear. And uh, so that's the biggest challenge, I think, that all of us had. 
how do we get together as a group? How do we talk? And it's one common goal. And a lot of that was clinging to the old banner, you know, like it was a lot of companies are not like ours. You know, when you, you get acquired, they're kind of, I worked for a company years ago when we uh, changed our name, but somebody basically walked around the office with a garbage can, you know, all your letterhead, all your cards, everything goes in, you know, Amphenol doesn't do that. So what we were trying to do and when they were acquired, a lot of these companies, you know, that wasn't, they were told that would never happen. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you're trying to get together and say, just let the name go. You know, you, you can't be times fiber anymore. You're going to have to be ABS as one group. And I think that was the biggest challenge. I think once we got over that and people realized that you're not disappearing, we're stronger as a whole. And it really wasn't an internal shift that was based on structure or, you know, uh, ego. It was driven by the market. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody saw it. So we, we knew we had to do it. But that, I think that was the biggest challenge. Just a, just a lot of people playing in, a, in the same sandbox. Is, is tough. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and obviously it's worked. Um, so, yeah. And, yeah. and people I think now are accepting of it and it's been a, a normal part of life for people within that yep. ABS group. So what have you seen that have been the biggest changes since that's happened? Because this is sort of specific to this market that you're in, but what yep. have you seen as far as, you know, what are the improvements that have been made as a result of you guys coming under one storefront, as Matt said? I, I think the biggest one was, uh, you know, a pooling of resources. You know, everybody was struggling in their own. You only have so many engineers. You only have so many salesmen, you know, and as once everybody started to work together, all of a sudden you have different, you have more diversity, some different skills in engineering that we probably would have never hired ourselves. You know, the same in sales guys with contact and expertise in stuff that we never touched in. So I, I think that's been our biggest strength. You know, in the front, the customer only sees one face, but in the background, you can pull together six or seven different engineers from different divisions, you know, hack it out, you know, fight among yourselves and then come with an answer to the customer that they think was instantaneous. But in, in the background, I think that's the biggest. It's, it's a larger pool of resources that of diversity you wouldn't have as one company, you know, and part of the reward structure, like I mentioned, you just weren't rewarded for those that wasn't part of it, right? Sure, sure. So when you meet with new customers, right, or someone who doesn't know a lot about what ABS does, how do you now and and you and and others on the team that would potentially do this, how do you present yourself? What do you say to people, to new customers to say, this is why I think you should choose to work with ABS? What would you typically say? I think the best is it's a one-stop shop. Mm -hmm. You know, Amphenol is infinitely diverse now. You know, you don't have to talk to 10 different companies or anything, you know, you get, let's work with your problems. You know, what's your pain? You know, what do you find in day? What's your frustrations and stuff? And we can help solve that. So I I think for us, we look as a partner, you know, we're there as a salesman, obviously you're trying to get you to buy from us, but the biggest part is you've got problems. We can help solve you with your problems, you know? So a lot of the times we introduce ourselves, we're here to like help with your pain. You know, what keeps you up at night? You know, what frustrations do you have? Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've got a diversity and a skill set that can help you with that. You know, for us, the cable industry and some of these guys, it's still relationship-based. It's not, you know, it's not 10 vendors just on um, a bid online. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys, 
have to depend on you every day. Uh, there's not a lot of backlog, so we're not a lot like the Amphenol guys that have like six, eight a year long of backlog. That's not us. We mm-hmm. we rarely have more than two weeks of orders. We've got to work with them on planning and stuff. Uh, most of our customers don't know longer than that what they're going to use. Yeah. So, you know, it's trying to react to that and solve their solutions. So a lot of times, most of the time, we're not the cheapest by far, you mm-hmm. know, it's a, and a lot of it's commodity based. So the only thing we can offer is we're a little bit more expensive, but we're going to help you solve your problems. You know, we're, we're going to let you get to sleep at night and it's going to cost you a little bit more. But, you know, there's a, those companies that are just going to get you the best price is, are probably going to cause you more problems. You talked earlier too about you have, you're in charge of a number of different manufacturing facilities around the world. How do you, I mean, you can't be in all these places at once. So how do you manage all of these facilities and make sure that they're satisfying, you know, what you're describing, at least from my background at Amphenol, is incredibly quick lead times and and turnaround and and turning inventory. How do you manage that with multiple locations like that? It's really about relationships. You know, for me, I'm, I'm fairly close with everybody, especially the management teams. I travel a lot, you know, the last seven or eight years, I'm in 200,000 miles a year. Um, But I don't babysit them. What to me, it's about people. So I'm good at, you know, one of my skills I learned early on is I can sit in a meeting with people and I can feel the tensions and what's good. This guy gets along with this person. This is guy's pissed off. This guy's shaking his head. Mm -hmm. And I I usually gain relationships with these people. And for me, it's um, let the managers run it, but put the right managers in place. You know, I'm, I tell people it's like a train. You've got this massive train. You can't turn left at 90 degrees. You kind of point in a direction. So I, I feel for me, I put the right people in place. I support them. You know, I press them like Amphenol is very flat. So I, if I want to go sit with the production manager, have a beer with him at night, mm-hmm. and he can pour out his pain you know, I don't do it behind the plant manager's back. I tell him, you know, we're close and they know that's part of it. You shouldn't be afraid for me to talk to the plant manager and him, you know, you know, explain his problems from engineering point to whatever it is and feel like that's exposing dirty laundry. I let's, let's get the dirty laundry out. Let's build a really strong team that trusts each other mm-hmm. and I'll trust you. And then from above, I get, I got a daily report from every plant worldwide. And a lot of days, I don't read them. I, it's just not possible. But <laughs> yeah. every one of them I developed kind of from scratch. Yeah. And um, I focused on what they're good at and what they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're good at this, I really don't need that. It's the areas, if I need you to go over here a year down the road, I'm going to have to put some goals in place. Mm-hmm. And you're not really good at this, this, and this, and we need to be. So I need like a daily on that. So I check them. I have comments. I modify them. What I found earlier, it's not cookie cutter. Every plant in the world is different. People right. are people. It's, it's the exact same problems. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, a lot of it's to do with people. So, you know, in the past, when I took this job, everybody in the report was in the world was doing the exact same production report every day. Mm-hmm. But it was almost useless. You know, it didn't really highlight anything. 
And I think it's for, you know, you can almost always put them on a graph and you can say, here's China versus Korea versus Brazil. Right. But I don't compete them against each other. You know, when, when I came into this, it was a very, very separated sales, never talked to production that wasn't allowed, mm. you know, and mm. the plants were basically, even my predecessor was an older gentleman. And he said, your job is to dig a big hole, give all the plant managers a sword, just kick them all in the hole and see who comes out. I was like, whoa, that's horrifying. You know, and it creates competition that's crazy. So unless you can create teams that depend on each other, right. they're not going right. to lean on each other. So that's the big part. I think it's, it's all about people. I focus on the people. I try and let everybody know that they're supported 100%. I'm always here. It doesn't matter what level you are in the company. You could pick up the phone and call me and it'd be fine. You know, I worked hard with the plant managers to make sure they're never, you know, boxing you in or don't talk to him or this is private. Yeah, you got to work through that. I think if you've got those issues and you're afraid of somebody talking to me direct, you've got issues that you should be handling. So I think that's the biggest. You can't micromanage them, though. Yeah, it sounds like you have, I don't know if this is something that uh, you were just born with or learned over time, but a high level of emotional intelligence in that you realize how much this really, you could be the smartest person in the world and have all the, the resources at your disposal, but if you don't personally connect with the people that you need to rely on to get the job done, at that emotional level with one another, then, you know, you're going to, you're always going to struggle. Um, it, it's interesting yeah. the way you describe it because everything you talk about kind of came back to that really getting to know the people and listening to them and communicating. Yep. It wasn't techniques. It wasn't graphs and charts and how to do pivot tables and all that sort of stuff. It was, I need to know this person. I need to be able to rely on him or her to get the job done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I grew up in a small town. It's 9,000 people. You know, in Canada, everybody knew everybody, mm -hmm. um, hockey and, and over the years. And, you know, it, after I got out of university, I, you know, I realized that I'm a pretty good read of people. Mm -hmm. You know, I was always criticized through my life. People are just, you judge too quick, you know, <laughs> like I, like I, but, you know, and over time that was probably true. Yeah. You know, I think coming out of school, I was probably pretty arrogant. You know, I figured my opinion was always right, but over time, you know, I realized that you just listen to the people, Yeah. you know, you got, you know, my grandmother used to tell me that it's one mouth and two ears, listen twice as long as you speak. Yeah. And over the years I got, um, a lot of criticism sometimes because my managers were just like, you can't go out for a beer with the engineering guys, you know, yeah. you, you can't have a personal relationship with them and be a manager. And I fought that from forever. Yeah, I think there's a really clear line. You need to, okay, you can have a personal friend, but you know, you might have to fire that person. You might have to reprimand them and you have to be able to cross that line pretty seamlessly. Mm -hmm. So when I was running the plant here in Canada originally, I, I let go friends that were my best friends. Mm -hmm. You know, I had one of my best friends was an electrician. You know, we hung out since we were like five years old and he worked for me for 10 or 15 years. And as we signed we, we went down. I had two uh, electricians only needed one. His skill set was different than the other. And I had to let him go, you yeah. know, and I had friends that were just, how would you ever let that? You have the power to keep him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, but I'd be screwing the team. 
You know, that's the team is the team. So if you can't cross that line and one's business and one's friendship, but that's like 15 years ago and he's never spoke to me since. Really? But for me, it's like, that's his choice. And I, I still have, I would say 10 or 15, like really good friends worldwide. Mm -hmm. And you know, they're not the plant managers. Some of them are, some of them are lower level. So, and I go out of my way. If I go to Virginia, I take the customer service out one night. I take the engineers, you know, we, we try and I, I want to know their pain and just, if they know, I, I don't want them to tell me what they think I need to hear. They should be open to, you know, voice their opinion and feel that it's classified on one side, but if they need help on the other. So I, I, yeah, it's, it's a key part of it for sure. But, you know, obviously I can do the accounting and stuff, but for me, it's people relationships. That's, that's, that's how you work hard. Yeah. I mean, and, and what you describe is those are some tough conversations and it's hard to separate yourself. Um, like you're talking about you know, business versus personal. Um, yeah. I, I'd imagine that, that you had some internal conflict when you had to do something like that um, and really mold it over for quite some time. Or maybe you didn't, or maybe you knew, look, I have to do what's best for the business. I, you know, this is, we have to separate this, but there could be consequences. And it sounds like there were at least from a friendship or relationship standpoint, but I get it. Um, it, it, It still doesn't change the fact that, you know, understanding that those personal relationships um, may be, it may quite be the most important uh, piece to being successful in this. It's not the the resources is not spending money on software it's it's knowing the people and building that trust in them i know one thing that that you um, did a lot of work on over the last year was uh the facility in vietnam so can you talk a little bit about that for us yeah it was we started in the tariffs when the tariffs started in the states we were front and center and, you know, Zach at the time, he phoned me up and he was just, uh, you know, we can't tolerate this. You should go to Southeast Asia and open a plant. I was like, where? And he goes, I don't know. Do your research. So so I kind of narrowed it down to Vietnam, you know, a lot but, of but By the way, that. not to interrupt, but how do you do, how do you start doing research on that? I mean, you just literally <laughs> open up Google and go Southeast Asia uh, manufacturing like factories for sale or rent? Yeah. Is yeah. there a Zillow for That's that? Like, Yeah. You know, I've always liked that, you know, Zach always treated me just point and shoot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not going to have a thousand questions. So it was something like that. You know, I was looking at the like first it was Southeast Asia. What does that encompass? You know, and why? So then I, you know, the research showed that a lot of companies were going to that area. It's close enough to China. The wages are still pretty low. And working through it, you know, Vietnam has got low wages, but they've, they've got a pretty robust economy. They got, um, you know, a good political system. They've got good relations with the U.S. You know, you start to, I started to work down a list of important factors. Mm-hmm. And a lot broke out the other countries. Um, you know, the U.S. being so many years in Vietnam, before that was the French. Right. You know, there was a lasting infrastructure change and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I started there and I, I found a supplier first in northern um, Vietnam. Uh, around Hanoi. So I, I reached out and everything. We had no contacts. We had nobody there. Yeah. I was like, well, first let me go and see these guys make cable. I'll see what they're doing. It was a funny experience. We have, um, we have a thing on our phones, you know, which is the global alert. Mm-hmm. So basically if, 
you know, if you're in trouble in some parts of the world, you can press the button. I'm not really sure what happens. Maybe it's just, uh, but somebody should try and come and help you. <laughs> Zach told me when we first put it in, he said, in corporate, there's a, there's an arc, there's a bet going on on who's going to push the button first and you're in the top two. <laughs> so I was like, oh, nice. So, and I guess it's because I'm never afraid to go anywhere with yeah. people or, so anyways, I fly uh, to Hanoi, I checked in at the hotel. They said, we'll pick you up at eight in the morning. So anyways, I go out and there's two guys that don't speak any English. They give me a card. Mm. They're driving a very beat up little Toyota car from like 1985. They put me in the back. There's no air conditioning. We drove for like two hours into the country. And all I could think is like, oh my God, Zach's going to be right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm probably being taken somewhere and I'll be head in the hut. So eventually I got out and we, we found this factory and it was pretty big and um, the North is pretty militant. So it was run by a general. Mm-hmm. He had a little shrine in the corner to Ho Chi Minh, yeah. very, uh, you know, military outfit and stuff, uh, but great people, you know, and they helped me. And that was where it, I realized that it was probably the South. So I went to South. We had a person that we knew in the past uh, helped us look at some options and, we just went from scratch, but basically I found somebody on the outside of Ho Chi Minh City. They were a pretty big developer. You know, they would build it for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in a good area, kind of between um, the country where you can get some low wages, but also close enough to Ho Chi Minh City that you can draw the educated higher managers. Mm-hmm. And it was a field, really. It was, it was just a field. They just said, hey, we're going to build you a building right here. Oh, you know, I was like... Holy crap. And I got a picture of me with, you know, the triangle hat on yeah, standing yeah. in front of an empty lot, you know, and I came home sometimes and I was just like, what the hell are we doing here? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but they were excellent, you know, in three or four months, they had the building built from scratch wow. within five months we had moved equipment in. Yeah. And I, I just drove it ahead. There was a lot of things like the accounting wasn't set up. We didn't have a good system and everything, but we had to get the production. I was like, you guys will catch up in accounting. Um, you know, let's drive along on that, but we have to start producing. Mm-hmm. So, and I found the people in Vietnam are excellent, uh, hardworking, very, you know, very honest, you know, and they're really genuinely happy to see you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, yeah. when you go to a lot of countries, they kind of put on the front. Yeah. Um, but I truly believe they're just like, we're so happy you're in this country and they mean it. And that's, that's been the difference. I think really, really an easy place to do business. And uh, we, I partnered, we built the building and then AST, another division came with us on the other end. AFOP came in the middle. So now we have basically a thousand people in this pretty huge building um, a year later. And it's been difficult. There's, <laughs> you know, there's daily problems. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I got an excellent team on our side. I found a good plant manager. You know, I've, she's, uh, she's phenomenal. And uh, I've went to, uh, you know, a couple of times to her house in the country and mm-hmm. stayed with her mother, you know, <laughs> sleeping on this cot in the jungle kind of, and it's, yeah. it's been a great experience, Yeah. but we have a really strong team there and I've kind of focused like the other plants. You got to find a really good team. They got to be like a family and, you know, they have to want to succeed for you. And I think that's the big thing, you know, People uh, we visit, I used to visit with Josh sometimes and he was just like, oh, these people would do anything for you. And I said, you know, that I know that. I know they would do it. They, they consider me a personal friend and mm-hmm. they do it. I think the trick is there, don't ask too often. 
Mm. You know? Okay. Yeah. I, I wait, you know, when I need things done, I engage them. So on day to day, I don't interfere too much in their business. I kind of port them, but there's occasion when I need this, I need this. And I know then I can pull it together. So I think for a lot of people, they're like, Oh, you can, you can get things done, but it's kind of calling favors. You know, I don't call them every day, but when I do, I I need it. So I think that's the difference. Yeah. Well, it goes back to that emotional intelligence. I mean, knowing, knowing people and understanding yeah. the, the culture a little bit, you know, a little bit more every time you go there to go, I, I have to play this this way. I can't play this the same with them than I can with the people in Virginia or the people in Canada. Um, yep. You know, I, I got to treat this a little bit differently as opposed to just trying to bulldogging it through or, you know, digging a hole and telling everyone to try to find their way out again or, or whatever that, uh, yeah. the, that example was. So <laughs> what, what has been the biggest challenge for you, not only with the, the plant in Vietnam, but for all of them over the last year? I mean, obviously, you know, I don't know if you heard what happened, but, um, you know, with, <laughs> with yeah, this pandemic, it's... but, but what's that been like for you? Um, uh, I'm assuming that in 2020, you didn't quite get to 200,000 air miles. No. Yeah. Yeah. I was cruising along to tell you the truth. By the end of February, I had 56,000 in already. Oh, because... so you were well on schedule. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's been tough. You know, I still depend on a lot of those personal relationships in the face to face. So now it's 10 hours of Zoom calls every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find when you have a meeting, people come prepared to kind of tell you what you want to hear. Mm. And that was not always my strength. My strength was always sitting in the meeting to the same presentation, but seeing that that guy's shaking his head, that guy won't look me in the face. Mm-hmm. This guy's got a, you know, is really happy. And that's the key, I think, to open those. You know, it's not just running through the spreadsheets. It's really what's going on here. And that's been the biggest trouble, I think. The good part is, you know, Vietnam and a lot of the plants, China and everything are excellent. You know, I tell people it's like spinning tops almost. There's always one top that stopped and some others that are just cruising. Um, You never get them all going. So, you know, this year really struggled with Mexico. It's um, and when I'm there, I can solve a lot of the things and work them out. But when you can't travel there, they ran into the pandemic and then the border problems and then, you know, closed and open. It was a lot of difficulties and over the calls, that's hard. You know, some people say it'll never go back the way it is. It'll always be Zoom, but that's, you know, as soon as they let me on a plane, I'd be gone. I have yeah. a lot of good friends and you, you have to focus your travel where you get the biggest bang for it. You know, you're in and out in a week or so, you know, part of that is travel. So you got to make good use of it. But Without that travel and without no ability for face-to-face, that's mm-hmm. difficult. There's some things that just take a lot longer. They take months to solve that you might solve in a trip. Yeah. So that's, and that's the biggest problem. So I, I do believe some businesses will, will just stay. Most people will work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but our business has never been that. And uh, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon either. Yeah, I imagine you're itching to, you know, just you know, uh, getting an understanding of how you work and how you manage your people. I imagine this has been as tough for you as maybe anybody because you can't look at those people. You can't get that vibe from the room of what's going on and read the temperature because Zoom, while it's been phenomenal, you know, Zoom or or technology like that has been a lifesaver for billions of people around the world over the last year. I mean, let's not discount that. And 
by and large, powered by cables and connectors and things that you guys have made, by the way, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is the, you know, the, the odd part about it. But it still doesn't replace that face-to-face, you know, shake someone's hand, you get to know them. Um, you can't take people out for a beer like you're saying, you know, take the customer service representatives out or anything. You can't do that stuff. And, and I think we're all, you know, hopefully we're close to getting back to at least some semblance of that. But I could see how that would be, that could be rough for someone like you who, who does that yeah. as, as part of your normal business. Yeah. You know, I have a lot that I almost consider like family. When yeah. I go to Brazil, I can never fly back out of Sao Paulo without staying at my, you know, the sales manager's house. Yeah. You know, I know his family so well. I spent yeah. almost a year in Brazil when I first took this job, you know, and over the years he goes, you've slept in that bed more often than my son because he's a soccer player in the United States. Yeah. Um, but for those, those are tough. And I, I think people kind of depend on those relationships. So it's almost like family separated. So they feel like, you know, like you're gone. Yeah. So, uh, it's tough to, to reach out and make sure those are still there. You know, the personal calls and everything make big difference. I, I try and talk to a lot of people every month where it's no business, just, you know, what's going on with your kids? What's, yeah. you know, it's hard to bond through the computer, but sometimes seeing people's face again is a, is a, is a big difference for sure. Sure. So when you're not on a plane flying 200,000 miles a year or on 10 hours of zoom calls or, you know, having beers with people that, uh, uh, that uh, work for you in the various plants, what do you like to do when you're, when you're not working, when you're not on Amphenol time? I'm a heavy sports guy. You know, I was, I played uh, hockey since I was about three years old. Um, isn't you know, that, and that's a, isn't that a law in Canada, by the way, basically? Yeah, it's pretty much. It. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got really strange. It started and stopped like three or four times. We're all without, you know, the last time I got to play was, uh, you had to sign up two days in advance. Mm. You had to fill out the online forms. When you got there, you had to line up and they gave you a seating position, you know, sometimes not even with your team. It's like, okay, you're in, you're in uh, dressing room five and wow. seat six. And you go in, there's only six people, Yeah, you know, and then it was like uh, no contact. You can't bump into each other on purpose. Yeah. There's no face offs because you'd be too close. So everything is a penalty shot, you know, or kind of like scrub hockey. It's just like, okay, they're going to start down there. You guys go to your own end. Yeah. Um, I'll miss that part for sure. I, I do a lot of skiing, mm-hmm. you know, everything physical. It's all, for me, it's always been exercise is kind of my way to vent, I yeah. guess, you know, the stress down. You know, every year uh, we go out west, um, but the skiing and everything's always been good. Um, but yeah, and I've got my kids are older now, so I have a 24 year old that's out west working, and I have a 21 year old's in her last year of university. So it's, uh, you know, it's different being separated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The yeah. travel all week, and then on weekends is pretty private almost. You know, you're just with your family. Yeah. And there's something to being on all the time. You know, it's, uh, I love people. I think that's the base of it. But a lot of times I don't really, I didn't need that, you know, beer with the friends every weekend and stuff because I kind of got it all week, you know? So when I was yeah. so bringing myself down, you know, because everywhere you go, yeah, you know, especially if you only visit every six or seven weeks or something, by the time you go there, everybody's kind of got like 15 minutes of your day or of your week that they want. Yeah. I, I need this. So, 
So you get there and it's like 6 a.m. You get off the plane, somebody picks you up. Uh, the person that picks you up already has an agenda and, yeah. you know, 82 questions. And that goes to like midnight every night and mm-hmm. then back to bed. So, and that's kind of changed, you know, and now yeah. you're basically all isolated. I, I find the the isolation on the personal is, is tough. Yeah. You know? Just yeah. A, I'm a huge sports fan as well. Um, and I don't know as much about hockey as you do, but uh, knowing a little bit about it, Canada hasn't had a team that's won the Stanley Cup since I think '93, <laughs> right? The Canadians were the last yeah. ones. Uh, first of all, which team? What, what team do you root for? I, I root for the Ottawa Senators. Okay, you know, I, and in Ottawa, yeah. even good and bad, they came pretty close a couple of years ago. They yeah. were right to the Stanley Cup Finals. But I love watching the games, like going live. Yeah, you know, I'm not so much on the TV. A lot of times I'm traveling, so I'm not into like you know the ten games a week to watch. Yeah. Um, you know what it is? It drives, it's the money, you know, part, part is, you know, if you look at all the teams in the NHL, I think probably 60% of them are Canadian. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter where they are. So we still yeah. have a culture from birth that generates a lot of really good hockey players, but the opportunity to live in the States for more money, you know, more support. I, our, our system in Canada is different. You yeah. know, you can't go to university and get a scholarship scholarships in Canada are given out for academics, not sports. Mm-hmm. It's, and part of that is it's, they're run partly and supported by the government. And the general feeling is that you can't give athletes free education if the public's paying for it. Right. And our stadiums and stuff and the support of the communities, they kind of have to support themselves. Mm-hmm. But in the States, totally different culture. You know, yeah. you guys are taxpayer you funded. Know, yeah. Hey, college students, huge. Yep. Everybody supports it. You know, no questions asked if you're going to put a hundred million dollar stadium in a town uh, here. It's just not done. Yeah. So that support really has drawn the athletes south. And uh, I don't know if it'll come back. Even some of the Canadian teams really battle. Yeah. But that's what I was, what I was going to ask though too was that you know with the drought being so long, would it matter what Canadian team like if the Vancouver Canucks won or the Winnipeg Jets? Would nah, you be just Canadian's as happy? Canadian. Yeah. No, okay. we, no that's what I, was, that I was curious. Game. Yeah. Yeah, and you know a lot of people point to the Olympics and the true. junior hockey's, and they're just yeah, like, they, well, that's they, all Canadian, and we dominate that usually. That's true. So it's still yeah. there is a lot of pride, but you know it's. Uh, it not so patriotic as you guys. Um, yeah. For us, you yeah. know, a lot of people love the players and they love the team, and it doesn't matter if they're playing in Las Vegas or Vancouver. They they cheer hard. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, All right, so we'll end with this, Barry. Um, I stick you on a desert island. You can't, you know, you, you're stuck there now. Um, no Zoom, uh, no anything like that. So you can't talk to any of your customers or your factories. But I allow you to have one album, one book, and one movie with you to entertain you. So we'll start with album. If you could think of one album you'd want with you, what would that be? So I've, I've got to fell in love with these guys. I don't know if you know Greta Van Fleet. So yeah. these guys are like, uh, it's really, um, like even the story is amazing. Their music is amazing. But, uh, you know, it's three kids, 20 years old, all brothers. Yeah. The drummer lives across the street. And they've really kind of created something that people would say is a copy of Led Zeppelin. But for me, I, I don't think it is. You know, <laughs> I, I really love those guys. Yeah. So that would be the first one. 
for books, I mix it up. That's a tough one. I, I read three or four books a month. Yeah. Um, wow. I try and do educational. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always do a business book and, you know, but if you spend a week or two reading a business book, sometimes it just, you know, it's a, it's a way to go to sleep at night, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then I got to do uh, something. I, I like uh, John Grissom books like that. Right. That are a bit candy. Mm-hmm. I like uh, biographies also. So I, I don't know. The book would be a tough one to narrow down. How Maybe a, a large biography. Yeah. Uh, how, how about a movie? Oh, movies. I'm always action to tell you the truth. I, I, lo- I love the action. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, it'd probably be an adventure movie or something like that if I had to watch it over and over. Yeah. I love that. Maybe that hero type or, you know, I, I think more it's person. I, mean, I love people that show personal perseverance. Mm-hmm. You know, they overcame the odds to become something. And that's yeah. kind of the background, all the adventures, you know, people that grew, had this talent from birth and it was a danger to everybody, but harnessed it to help. That's yeah. uh, this type of movies where it's, Shows people succeeding, you know, like Goodwill Hunting or something like that. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that would keep me entertained too. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> nice. Well, listen, Barry, I appreciate you taking time today to to speak to me, um, and uh, I'm glad to learn a little bit about yourself. Um, I find your story really fascinating, and uh, congratulations on everything you've done, specifically with the factories over the last year or so in Vietnam. Um, And I wish you and the family and the team all the best of luck. Thank you very much for having me on, for sure. And uh, sometimes we'll meet in person. 